As I begin contemplating what I should do, if anything, about God's hatred of the poor, it's important to understand who are the poor. In contemplating the remaining moral question of what to do about the reality of God's hatred of the poor, and what, if anything, I should do about it, it is important to keep in mind who are the poor. As I try to clarify in the prologues to this contemplation, Though it is a good start to define the poor simply in terms of material poverty and in resulting good and evil in life, these attributes are human creations. In the present age, when there is still a lot of material and physical poverty in life, in which on average every 10 seconds a child somewhere dies of hunger or preventable diseases, it is easy to start with this definition of the poor, and it is correct to start with it, but it is a mistake to define or connote the poor solely in terms of material or physical poverty. This is not my definition, nor as far as I am concerned is it the definition of any Western theology when it says that we will always have the poor among us. I include, and theology should include, the spiritually poor, those who Camus, Dostoevsky, Herman Melville, and the other existentialist writers describe as having lives of absurdity and hopelessness, because this may be the future of much, if not most, of humanity as human scientific and technological progress continues to eliminate material and physical poverty. Thanks to material progress, we are likely to reach a point in the foreseeable future where material and physical poverty will not exist. Everyone will have the basics for materially and physically having a healthy, individual life. This future will result from the past suffering of millions, if not billions, of past dead souls. Will such future happiness be worth the price paid by those dead souls? As Camus and Dostoevsky specifically put it, for who would dare to assert that eternal happiness can compensate for a single moment of human suffering? The same question can be posed, in fact, is stronger if posed for human happiness in this life. These writers uh, use the example of suffering babies and children and even of purely innocent beasts of burden who from birth are destined to live lives of struggle for their human masters and then die a lonely and miserable death as the lonely and miserable animals they are. Dostoevsky's description of a man beating a horse to death in crime and punishment, and of the hunting dogs killing a child in his book, The Brothers Karamazov, are examples that, if read, are impossible to forget. If these books are too long, uh, try the short stories of George Orwell, such as a Hanning shooting an elephant in Makaresh, dealing with real-life events that he witnessed. These fictions and stories pale in comparison to real-life tragedy, such as the siege of Stalingrad. Are the powers that be of Christianity willing to accept the massacre of the innocents and the possible damnation of unbaptized babies as the price to pay for their eternal happiness? Yes, they are. That is why they are the powers that be. My question on this issue of God's hatred for the poor is, is am I willing or should I be willing to accept such price for happiness either in this life or in any next? Furthermore, what would be the spiritual price paid for this future without material and physical poverty. As physical and material struggles with disease, sickness, starvation, and similar battles disappear, 
Will our existentialist battle with the universe and God disappear, or worse, be lost? If we are able to win during any individual's lifetime the battle with the universe for survival and thus lose all the vices that come with that battle, what will be left? Would the virtue still be there as needed to fight humanity's existentialist battle against the indifference of the universe? Or will we give it up to concentrate on individual happiness for the individual's lifetime? Our descendants will sit around well-fed, healthy, satisfying all their needs for physical pleasures whenever and however they want, either in reality or through plugging into their holograms. They will take their medicines for physical fitness. They will avoid all controversy and unpleasantness with other humans, either by law or by isolating themselves in physical or mental cocoons from others. They will use cosmetic surgery to make themselves whatever skin color, sex, or physical characteristic they want so as to avoid racism, sexism, or whatever. They will have sex with whoever or whatever they want. They will, they will pick out from the lab, lab what kind of children they will want to have, if any, though I don't see why any of our descendants would want to have children and risk their lifetime of controlled happiness by entering into the world of randomness that is raising a child. Uh, I think they would just get a dog or two, as most millennials are doing now anyway. Sure, the future will accept heterosexuals, homosexuals, asexuals, and whatever sex the powers decide they will accept. But what will be the point of sex if no one has enough passion for life to procreate anyway? Again, just get a dog. So is this, so is this future why there has been suffering by millions, if not billions, of past dead souls so that their descendants are free to enjoy anal sex with each other whenever they want? I sure, I sure would have done things differently if I had known as a young man that the future would make Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as their possible presidents. The powers that be of the future will make the individual happiness of their wards or inmates, however you want to call them, their guiding light for society. As long as those wards or inmates do not destroy their will for power as an end in itself, their will to control all other life. In the future, there will be no nationalities, ethnicities, races, or uncomfortable, diverse talk or thought that would serve as a basis for hate, thus none that would serve as a basis for love. This brave new world, as always, will have the powers that be assuring that everyone follows orders, does what they are told, and does nothing to endanger this future utopia with no conflict and no villains, having only well-marketed heroes chosen as necessary to enforce the, utop the utopia that ought to be. These future powers will not need to commit acts of violence to enforce their utopia. Social ethics will do it for them. If there is a particularly hard case that needs to be eliminated to assure the continuance of their power, the powers will no longer need other people to do their killing for them. They will be able to use machines to kill any hard case rebels for, for them. Thus, the future powers will no longer need warriors, heroes, or cowards, just machines dividing humanity into the living and the dead. Do not get me wrong here. I am not ridiculing uh, such, a future, such a future. Personally, the dismal utopia of Otis Huxley's Brave New World is a better world than we have now. Given a choice between being materially rich but spiritually poor or being materially poor but spiritually rich, most people that have known physical poverty 
would choose being physically rich over spiritual richness because you can always buy love. But this brave new world of the future for which my ancestors and I have fought and struggled to achieve, is it really worth what it took to get there? Doesn't seem worth it right now. The price for ending physical and material poverty seems to be spiritual poverty. Again, am I willing to accept such for happiness? This is the substance of the problem and the nature of the definition of being poor and hated by God. God so hates the poor that the rules of the card game and vineyard are set so that either the poor must endure the absurd meaninglessness caused by lack of physical and material power or physical and material poverty, or endure the meaninglessness of a lack of spiritual power while the chosen few powers that be, in either case, enjoy both material and spiritual power over them. For most of humanity, it is either material poverty or spiritual poverty. It is one or the other. Is this the free will that theologians are talking about and always yakking about? This is worse than politics. It's worse than a choice between Mutt or Jeff, Donald or Hillary for president. It is worse than no choice at all. The concept of meaning for the poor, poor's lives, either material or spiritually poor, is meaningless. What matters is only what the powers that be decide matters and will be the meaning of their lives. In the future, the poor will be defined by spiritual poverty, but it will still be poverty. But so what? Fuck them. The dead are dead. I cannot help them. I will be dead in the future, so fuck the brave new world. As the song goes, que sera, sera, let it be, let it be. God can do whatever he wants. He is doing it, so why does it bother me? I wanted the truth. I have it. Is it really envy and jealousy that is causing my problem with this truth, as the Bible says in the parable of the workers? This is the final issue that I must face in uh, answering the question of God's hatred for the poor.